Welcome back to the Cold War Show, episode 51. Sounds right. Hey, buddy. How you doing? How's it going? All right. All right. So th- I was thinking, I was thinking, one day, will you talk about me the way you talk about Sir David? <laughs> yeah. You're going to kick mean? me to the curb. What do you mean one day? Get someone younger and move what do you- on. What do you mean one day? I already talk about you like that. I don't have to, you don't have to wait. It's in my contract and you know it is to make you look good. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. I mean Markham in that uh interview I mentioned last time on the uh When Diplomacy Fails podcast. He actually mm-hmm. says, "Well, uh you know, I have to say that Cameron really got his start uh on in history podcasting uh you know, because of me." And everything that I did, and but you know, and you know, he's taken it on, and he's uh, gone on from that. But really, it's uh, <laughs> wouldn't be there today, and that's true. I have to say, that's true. It is true. If it wasn't for Jay David Markham's willingness to take a punt on this newfangled thing called podcasting in two thousand and five mm-hmm. or six, whenever it was that I first approached him with the idea of doing the Napoleon Show. I wouldn't be doing these shows today. Uh, 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 you know, I, I probably wouldn't have ever done history podcasting because I didn't, you know, it wasn't something that I, I would have felt comfortable doing myself Right back then. Well, I needed if, someone like David to help me out. Yeah. And if, and if I can add on to that, when I listen to the Awesome Napoleon podcast, I'm like, fuck, someone needs to do that for World War II. So I, oh, Dave, Sir David, uh, whatever his name is, uh, Sir David, uh, kudos as well. So thank you very much for being the sperm that <laughs> I don't know where to go with that. I wouldn't be married to Chrissy if it wasn't for the Napoleon podcast. That's true. David wouldn't be married to his wife, Edna, if it wasn't for the Napoleon podcast. You wouldn't be. Zach Twalmy said that when the Napoleon podcast was the only the second podcast he ever listened to after uh, the history of Rome. But it was the first conversational podcast he'd ever listened to. And he went, oh, my God, that is such a great format for a podcast. Yeah. And he really got into it. Um, and as as I, I think I'm correct in saying, it was uh, the first conversational, long-form history podcast that was ever done. I think the only mm. other history podcast before that was History According to Bob, with our friend right. Bob Packer, who's been on our shows a couple of times, and it was which is a great show, still going. Bob is a mm-hmm. absolute fucking gem, but um, it's just him sort of talking, and right. and he does a great job. He's very entertaining, but you know, there's like fifteen minute shows. Yeah, the Napoleon podcast, I think, was the first history conversational history podcast ever, and it has spawned. And I was quite pleased listening to Zach talk about that. Like I said to Chrissy that that day, like it's I get emails from people all the time who love the shows and even people who love the Napoleon show, they're just discovering it now, 10, 11 years right. later. And that's lovely. I get emails from listeners who 
enjoy the show, and that's always wonderful. I appreciate that. But it's not often that I hear people like yourself and Zach say, well, it's because of that that I ended up doing my own podcast. Um, Mm -hmm. So the influence that it's had on podcasters producing their own shows is, I think, um, something else that I'm quite pleased with um i'm glad that it inspired people even if they thought well that you know that sucked we can do better it still led people (laughs) to go and do things i'm being serious like i don't think i don't think you know it's anyway i don't think it's the be all and end all but we did a long time ago we'd probably do it a lot differently now obviously but it um and the the audio quality is not great and all that kind of stuff because it was early days with bad mics and david's fucking um, smoke detector beeping in the background and all that kind of shit. But anyway, yeah. So uh, they just added character. Yeah, but I, you I, know, I, I do feel, have to add. On. Do do feel very confident that if you and I ever stop working together, I will be lambasting yeah. you mercilessly for the rest of time. So just don't even have any doubts about that, my friend. Okay. All right. So the goal for me is to never quit. So you don't can't. die. Anyway, I want it. I want it on the record that, um, yeah, because of you and David, I decided to, to do a podcast. However, I must say that I nailed the uh, Nazi big dog on my own. Okay, I don't think uh, podcasting had anything to do with that. So, uh, uh, you know, by that you mean my own, in, your in wife. my own way. Yeah, wife. Uh, yes, yes, my lovely wife. Yeah, um, I did want to uh, just say though that yeah oh yeah don't die that was what i was going for uh <laughs> i have die. i actually have a t-shirt that says things to do before i die number one don't die um <laughs> so that's achieve immortality that's my goal Okay, so let's get back to Yalta. Uh, We're coming to the end of Yalta. Uh, We mentioned at the end of episode 50 that during the plenary session on February 10th, Frank and Nancy changed his mind regarding France. Joe immediately raised his arms. Remember, if you think they're onto you, give us the signal. You remember the signal? Um, And the British were kind of pissed because when Churchill was trying to get Stalin to agree to France. He kept saying, yet. And as soon as Frank said it, even before the words are out of Frank's mouth, Stalin's like, da, 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 baby, da, all day long, da, 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 da. Oh, oh, oh my God, just stop. Yeah, so he said, da. Now, Pooh, the British were pissed, but Pooh took it as a win. Um, Obviously, back home in the elections that are really important to him, as we discussed with Professor uh, Plohe, um, this is something he can say he fought hard for and won. And it was agreed that they would send de Gaulle, the big celery stick, the eater of foot cream, a telegram inviting France to become a member of the Allied Control Commission. And de Gaulle's response for Ray was... <laughs> a typical Frenchman. Um, Je- Jeffrey Caffery, the uh, U.S. ambassador to France, wrote that de Gaulle mm, was in a sulky mood, 
after the publication of the conference communique came out, apparently expecting a big euro for himself, as well as something concrete in regards to France's position in the Rhineland. So it's like, debt is all I get. Debt is not enough to satisfy me. Pooh, pooh, and ye. Go fuck yourself, you stinky <laughs> Americans and British. This shove is your all you have penis, for me. Shove your own penis up your own <laughs> anus, and I hope it gets stuck. Okay, I'll ask him, but I don't think he'll be very interested. Uh, he's already got one, you see. Um, yeah, but later... He, he, yeah, go ahead. Well, uh, he even then uh, turned down the opportunity to meet with Roosevelt. Roosevelt offered to meet him in Algiers in North Africa after Yalta. Jerk face. Yeah. And uh, de Gaulle refused, in, in his words, to be summoned to a meeting on French territory by the head of a foreign state. Like, he was apparently offended that he hadn't been invited to Yalta from the get-go and now, yeah. whatever they do, it's not enough. He's just, uh, oh, go fuck yourself. Um, so, can, imagine, can, can these you, guys are can fighting. Can you think of any reason why France should have been invited invited to Yalta? No, I guess I agree with Stalin. <laughs> fuck France. They caved in. They, I mean, okay, de Gaulle has managed to put up some resistance, but really they've been as useless yeah, as a one-legged man at an ass-kicking party for the whole war. <laughs> And and de Gaulle wants to be treated as an equal? Like, fuck you. Yeah, okay. Just wondering where you stood on that. Was I not clear? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you were. Yes, you were. Hey, look, don't get me wrong. You know, I love France. I love the French. It's why I'm going to Paris and, and particularly going down the Côte d'Azur and places down in uh, the southern part of France, uh, Provence, uh, my favorite places in the world, you know, that and, and, and north of Italy and uh, Yosemite National Park, my, my favorite places in the world. That said, <laughs> and Napoleon, blah, 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 blah. That said, yeah, fuck the French um, in this particular <laughs> regard. Um, no, look, you know, uh, uh, they just... Uh, Brought it on themselves. Well, the Treaty of Versailles was obviously in large part their doing. Uh, they caved in to Hitler over Czechoslovakia as much as the British did. And then they weren't prepared at all, obviously, for the Nazi attacks on them. They caved in uh, very quickly and uh, they had no right to be invited to Yalta. So the fact that de Gaulle is pissy about it, so yeah. it, it confirms the indication that we get from the, the memoirs uh, and the writings of the people who knew Roosevelt and Churchill and Stalin that de Gaulle was just an annoying dickhead, really. <laughs> yeah. So I like the French. I don't want to help de Gaulle, but he's the one we put in charge. So, yeah, but, but I was just thinking that de Gaulle would need him, just thinking of all the things he probably could have gotten um, money and equipment and whatever else. So he was probably going to get them anyway, but why not, you know, squeeze out and get as much as you can from the Americans while they're in a giving mood. But I guess because he was the embodiment of French honor is what I have read in various books. He just could not be summoned to a part of France by a foreigner. It was just, it was just beyond what he, what he could tolerate. It's insulting to invite me to meet in my own country. 
You invite me to some... It's like saying you're inviting me to meet in my own house. You don't come to my house. And you don't ring me up and say I'm inviting myself to dinner at your house. You do not do this. This is not civilized. You... We are French. We do it civilized. You invite me to your house for dinner. Not to... You don't invite yourself to my... Go fuck yourself. <laughs> you don't invite me to my house. I invite me to my house. And I'm not inviting you to my house. Yeah, I just... Just fucking... Okay, so... I play... I play a little trick. I, t- I tell Churchill to say voulez-vous to people. This is, is this little trick. In France, this is considered humor. I know you do not understand. The Americans do not understand French humor. But, uh, you know, Marcel Marceau. Uh, that was France's uh, greatest victory. <laughs> What's his face? Jerry Lewis. Uh, what, what, what? <laughs> we like him. You give him to us now. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, Stalin, though, isn't disappointed. He doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't like De Gaulle. But he's cashing. <laughs> giving in Sorry. on France is obviously a negotiating chip, which he is going to cash in the next day yeah. by getting Frank to support him on the issue of German reparations. This is what he really wanted. He doesn't really give a fuck about whether France <laughs> is on or not on. Makes no difference to him. Um, right. And negotiation 101 is that you always have something that you don't care about, but you fight hard for it, and then you give in at the right moment to get something you do care about. You know, I know that this is how your marriage works with Heather. <clears throat> you fight yeah. you fight hard over the whole D'Angelo thing, stooping <laughs> your wife, but you don't really care. You give in at the end of the day. So she will let you keep doing podcasts with me. That's really all you care about. You put up a, a show about the D'Angelo deep dicking, um, right? And the anal and um, so okay, <laughs> the multiple. So wait a minute. So so Anne doesn't listen to this show, does? Just... And I'm getting screwed. Anne, Anne your mother-in-law, Heather's mother, doesn't listen to this show, does she? <laughs> thank, thank God. I hope not. I hope not. Whisper. Yeah. Anyway, I don't want her yeah. to think about a big black man ain't doing no. giving Heather no. anal. No. <laughs> I'm sorry, no. Anne, if you listen Any, to this. Anyway, I'm trying to get the image out of my head. I can't. So anyway, things are about to get even better for the Russians. So Stalin has got this chit in his pocket that he's ready to cash Did in. Did you say shit? In the morning of uh, February the 9th, it's time to negotiate again for the reparations. But uh, again, this, things are breaking uh, Stalin's way because Titinius walks in, or he has a conversation with FDR, and FDR, like we said, he's probably tired. He can't. You know, he's been here for days. He's exhausted. And he says he is going to concede on the question of Poland and the reparations. Let's wrap this up and get the fuck out of here. I am ready to go home. This is just not that important to me. Yeah. Did you say he had shit in his pocket? Was that a, a joke a that Churchill a, played on? <laughs> a chit? Stalin oh. had earned a chit that he could cash shit. in later. Uh, okay. Okay. So on the morning of February 9th, the day before, at his meeting with Stettinius, Steady, Frank had said that he had already decided to concede mm. on both Poland and reparations. Big concede deal, yeah. to Stalin's position on this. So this is even before Stalin caves in on France. Frank had mm. already decided to concede on both Poland and German reparations. And as we've said many times, he didn't really care that much. 
He didn't want to prolong the conference, and it had already gone on for way too long. Remember, it was only supposed to go for four days, and this is already right. day five, day six. Um, they're trying to. He, he wants to get the fuck out of there, get get back home. He's got a country to run. He's got a war to fight. He's got uh, you know he's sick. He wants to get the stamp collection. It right, is no, com- but he has had sight. This what? I was going to say, as Sir Hiplo, he said, it's cold in Yalta. I mean, you look at the photos, yes. they're all wearing 12 layers of jackets and shit. He's obviously very, he does look very sick in the photos. It's cold. He wants to get back to Florida or Georgia or wherever the fuck he was before he came over, back to the warm right. springs. Uh, uh, you know, he doesn't want Georgia. to be there any longer than he has to be. And he's had serious sinus issues for a very long time. You've got to think that Crimean weather is not helping that at all. Get the man the hell out of there. And as the professor said when he was on the show, there's no, they, they can't win with Stalin on a lot of this stuff. I mean, you can stay there for six months. He's not going to change his mind. He's, he's like, I have, to, I have the Red Army. What are you going to fucking do about it? Right? That's his position. <laughs> like, yeah. As uh, you and quoted in the interview with Plohi, you, you, you quoted Justice Burns. When he said it wasn't about what we, you know, what uh, we would let Russia do, but what we could get Russia to do, which was mm-hmm. nothing really when it comes to Poland in particular. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So on February 9th, after his meeting with Frank, Steady presented both concessions at the foreign minister's meeting later that day. Um, now the new American position agreed that the so uh, sorry agreed with the Soviets that the reparations should mostly go to those countries who had suffered the most from German aggression, and that the total should be in the Russia. vicinity. What? No, I I was just I was just going to make a comment about uh, the the money should go to those who uh, helped with the victory over Germany, Russia, and for those who suffered the most from Germany, Russia. Yes. And they're aiming for a total of $20 billion, which would be paid in the form of equipment within two years and the remainder in goods and commodities over a 10-year period. And half of that is supposed to go to the Soviet Union. Now, this is a number, the $10 billion, uh, that listeners may recall. Ivan Maisky had originally put forward Stalin and Molotov thought it was extremely ambitious and ridiculous. They didn't think that they were they were going to go for five billion. They were just right. pulling that number out of their ass too. Um, mm-hmm. And you know the the ten billion number was decided upon during a plenary session in day one or day two uh, by Stalin on the spot. But it had come from <laughs> Ivan Ivan Maisky. Now he could be proud. He'd been the main guy pushing for the ten billion. Uh, Stalin wanted to ask for five or maybe seven. Uh, But now the Americans have agreed with the $10 billion amount, or so it seems at this particular point. Yeah, because even just a couple of days ago, like you said, Stalin was backing up. He's like, maybe we could cut it down to $7 billion, you know, that kind of thing, which upset Meinsky because he's like, still, 
I could not so easily sacrifice my $10 billion. But now that you have the Americans saying, yeah, no, that, that sounds about right. That, that sounds good. I mean, this is a major win for Russia. This is a major win for Minsky. And like uh, Mr. Plohe said, when they all leave Yalta and go back home, everybody's going to get freaking ribbons wrapped around their neck and kissed on each cheek or whatever. They're going to party hardy afterwards because they have been able to get a lot of things that maybe if situations were different, they wouldn't have got, you know, wouldn't have got nearly as much. Now, when Steady put forward this plan in the foreign minister's meeting, Eden, foreign minister for Britain, strongly Ooh, yeah. objected to specifying any figure. And then Molotov spoke up, and I fucking love this. Molotov spoke up and said, hey, we can always make it a bigger number. <laughs> Oh, how about forty billion? Yeah, one hundred billion dollars. <laughs> um, how do you like me now, bitch? <laughs> the balls on this guy. Oh, Maisky, Maisky was not maybe thinking big enough when he said to me. You know, Maisky's the one who, who pushed them for ten billion. Now Molotov in the meeting is like, you know, we can always ask for more. It's like, it's like your showdown with a Bond villain or something, and. Uh, he's like, you have you have one hour to give me my demands. And they said, we can't get it done at that time. Now you have 30 minutes. But we still can't. Would you like me to reduce it to five minutes? I can keep going all day. Molotov just says we can make it bigger. Go hard or go home. That was Molotov's motto. Steady. I was going to say, that, that, old Russian, that old Russian saying, good big or go home. Yeah, so they, I mean, because they could have asked for $30 billion and it still wouldn't have been enough to fix all the things, all the towns and villages and the rails and everything else that had been destroyed, much less bring back the roughly 10 to 20 million people that died. So, yeah, so for, for the British uh, to be arguing over money, everything they went through, that's a little bit tacky, but they had their reasons. Yeah, I think the $10 billion Maisky had calculated was about 10% of the war yeah. damages or the cost of the war Fuck. to the Soviet Union. So really, you know, you're right. They could have asked billion. for more money. Anyway, so when, when Molotov said we can make it bigger, Steady objected, said, no, no, I think the numbers are reasonable. <laughs> and Eden Sounds good. said, yeah. well, I'm going... Uh, <laughs> My accents are getting confused now. He said he'd have to wait for instructions from his government. Well, as you see, yeah. we, we, we cannot do anything without instructions from the war cabinet. So I'm terribly sorry, chaps. We'll just have to wait and see what my instructions are. You can all fuck off until I get a letter from home. No, but I have to ask. You've got Churchill, Stalin, and FDR at Yalta. Who in the fuck are you going to get a letter from telling you what to do, telling them what to do? I That... That really didn't make any sense to me. Obviously, it was probably an excuse. Uh, obviously, they have to go by what the war cabinet says, you know, or the majority of the war cabinet. But when you've got these three big leaders there and they're waiting on a letter, you've got to think Stalin's going to go, I, I don't even fucking understand what you're talking about. You're waiting for permission from who? I mean, it's not going to make any sense to this man who has life and death over everybody in his country. And you don't go to a conference like this without knowing what you have to put yes. on the table, really. Um, I, I, I agree with you. I think it was a negotiating tactic on behalf of the British. And in this instance, he does get a letter or a telegram from the War Cabinet saying $20 billion. Telegram from London. <laughs> Sorry. 
It's hour three, people. <laughs> Telegram from the war cabinet. <laughs> so anyway, um, yes, saying yeah. the British Telegram says uh, two, 20 billion too much as it was roughly equal to Germany's pre-war gross exports in an average year. And Germany's been decimated. How are they going to pay... Mm-hmm. 20 billion over that period of time and and this is the key yeah. still pay for the products they're going to need to import yeah so it's fucking food to live shit right but it gets back to economics the british concern here the british mm-hmm. expect germany to be importing things after the war yeah. where are they going to be importing those things from uh across the channel Yes, Britain. So, yes, maybe there is a humanitarian element to this concern, but there's also, and this we'll see as we go forwards, this is fleshed out a bit by the key players, there is an economic concern here. Well, if we if we make them give us all their money, they're not going to be able to buy stuff. Or if they give Russia all of their money, more importantly, right. they're not going to be able to afford to buy shit, which is going to hurt our economy because the US, uh, sorry, the UK economy was destroyed and the way of re- the way to rebuild it in part was to be able to start exporting again after the war germany they expected to be one of the major economies that would be buying stuff to rebuild so they want to keep germany great again make germany great again uh at least give them enough money leave them with enough money that they can buy british goods and services Exactly. That's the whole point of bringing them low to get them back into the fold so they're buying from Britain. And as we're going to see later on, uh, I don't want to give too much away, but Churchill and Stalin have a conversation. And it's like, and Churchill's like, don't get me wrong, we'll take certain things, but we don't want finished products from Germany. We want to sell them our shit. That's the whole point of, uh, you know, of being a, an industrialized nation is to make more than you can consume, sell it, make a whole bunch of money and keep the cycle going. That's the game in a nutshell. And that was the real cause of the war. It wasn't Hitler invading anything. It wasn't Hitler killing the Jews. It was none of that shit. The cause of the war was Hitler was trying to increase Germany's economic sphere of influence and the British wanted to stop him and the French wanted to stop him and the Americans. So there were economic sanctions placed on Germany which forced, in a manner of speaking, him to go and invade other countries so he could continue to run his economy. It was about economics from the get-go. Yeah. I think it was General Foch, F-O-C-H, I'm not sure how to say his name because I'm not French, who said um, that Versailles was not a treaty. It was nothing more than an armistice for 20 years. Pretty much nailed it on the head. It was just a you know gap in between two wars because Versailles was just so unfair. Germany was going to find some way to strike back. Bach. Bach. Fock. Okay. So Fock was right. The Cock Brothers? <laughs> Fock was fucking right. So uh, Eden digs his heels in uh, after he gets this memo, this telegram from London, and refuses to sign off on the number, the $20 billion. Now, Joe has a private meeting with Pooh the next day, takes up the issue, and asks if the British were scared. <laughs> Now, what does that mean? 
Are you are you scared? Are you scared of our request? Does it scare you? Are you scared of twenty billion dollars? I, I mean, I'm I'm still trying to understand that. Was he basically just messing with his manhood and trying to intimidate him into agreeing? I, I'm not sure what Stalin was going for there. I think it's the suggestion that he was scared of the political consequences of mm. agreeing in public to reparations. But Pooh just ignores it anyway, says he's forbidden by his cabinet from mentioning any figures. Now, as you said before, you can imagine how weak that appears to Stalin. <laughs> if Stalin didn't have much respect for Churchill before that moment, after that, he's like, well, what the fuck are you even doing here if you can talk numbers? Like, send me a real man who can talk numbers. What the fuck is the point of you? Exactly. And so he's got to wonder, Stalin's got to wonder, why are you taking pity on the Germans of all people after everything they've done to Europe almost in, in its entirety? Why are you taking pity on them? But that's not exactly what it is. Uh, the British do have, to their thinking, a firm reason for not wanting uh, reparations, at least to, to that degree, uh, paid out by the Germans. Yeah, Eden says it's not pity. It's based on their experience after World War One. Uh, he's talking about, you know, sort of the Treaty of Versailles and the reparations and how that played out. Pooh says that he doubts the Soviets would even be able to collect that much from Germany. Mm -hmm. And for themselves, he said, we don't want much. We don't want, we don't want German labor. We might take over part of German trade on certain raw materials like potash and timber, but we do not want manufactured goods, which would only mean unemployment for us. So it's a good point. Yeah. I was going to say, again, keeping in mind the economics angle here for England, if they're bringing in German manufactured goods, it means that it's going to cause trouble for their own manufacturing base. Yeah. And I just think it's interesting that Stalin remembers that he is talking to a capitalist. So he says, I know, why don't you take even more German goods? Don't get me wrong. I want a lot. I've got a lot of rebuilding to do back at home. But why don't you take even more? There's no one here to stop us. There are no referees to this game. We are the referees. If we say it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Go ahead. Go ahead. Reach even more in and take more from Germany. But Churchill does not fall for it for whatever reason. Again, if um, Germany, because everybody's taking everything from it, is unstable, you're going to have to send it food. You're going to have to keep troops in there to keep it pacified. And so it, it's just not a headache he's, that the British are willing to deal with. So, so Churchill does not fall for the take even more from Germany. You, They owe it to you, after all, um, scheme. Instead... Churchill says that he would be happy for the Soviets to take all the German equipment. By removing factories and equipment from Germany, Russia would be doing us a service. For it would put an end to German exports, which could then be replaced by British exports. Again... That's pretty fucked up. Economics. Well, no, that's, you know, he's clearly thinking, how does Britain rebuild after the war? Well, if Germany's, if all of the manufacturing equipment is taken by the Russians, Germany can't manufacture their own stuff. They have to import stuff from us and the markets that they used to export to, we can now export to, which is also good for us. So it's yeah. 
economics and, and, and the recovery of the British economy is front and center for Churchill during these discussions. Yeah. And during the plan... And Doug, yeah. I'm sorry, no. go ahead. No, you go. Oh, no, I was just going to say, when, when Churchill says that, Stalin's only more more than happy to say, oh, oh, fuck, don't get me wrong. We will start removing factories when we can get a hold of them. And for those people who listen to my World War II podcast, as Mr. Plohe said, Professor Plohe said, in Western Europe, in Essen, is where Krupp, the uh, largest arms manufacturer in the world, has all of their valuable equipment, their factories scattered over hundreds, if not thousands of square acres. You know, Russia, and that's in the American and British and the French zone. Uh, Russia desperately wants to get their hands on this latest advanced technology as far as factories, as far as building weapons, and a lot of other things besides weapons. So Stalin is absolutely saying, oh, if I can get my hands on them, I will take everything I possibly can. Don't you worry about that. So during the plenary session that day, uh, Pooh referred to his instructions from the cabinet, and Frank seems to support him now. Mm-hmm. He said, "If any if any figures were mentioned, the American people would believe that it involved money." Well, fucking duh, yeah, <laughs> it's going to involve reparations. No, it's going to involve money. Uh huh. No, no, no. Uh, but I, I mean, I see his point though, because we know that Germany is not going to have twenty billion dollars or ten billion dollars in cash. Anytime soon. Besides, who would want who would want a Deutschmark? But um, they're gonna Stalin's gonna argue later on. This is the set amount of value for reparation. So when we take factories, when I take your cow, when I take trucks or whatever the fuck I take, and it's worth a certain amount, it's going to add that. But I think FDR is right. If you mention an amount, the Americans will automatically assume money and. And how many times have we talked about everybody's worried about local politics back home? So it's a weak argument, but there is some validity to it, what FDR is saying. So is the concern there that if money is mentioned, the Americans will think that the war was fought for money as opposed for, you know, a good cause or revenge or or something? Like, what is the concern? I don't really understand what he's getting at. Here's what I've read, and it's still true uh, in America very much today. And I'm not saying that it's not true anywhere else. I just know it's true here because I I see it all the time. When America's in a contest, fuck all, let's win, let's beat the shit out of them. The second the contest is over with, we turn soft. And so if if you're saying that Germany is suddenly being raped financially, everything worth of value is being taken out, as weird as this is going to sound, that's going to, to a degree... To what degree? I don't know. Bother the American people, and it's it's FDR just doesn't need that kind of hassle. So there's probably more to it than that. Is it's probably a lot more complex than that. But but from what I've read, American people are just like you know no don't just go in there. It's like you've you've removed all the Nazis, you've removed all the bad guys. This is just the German people now. Let's rebuild and let's get on with our lives. And you can call that naivete if you want, but that's kind of the American thinking. Remove all the bad guys, leave everybody else alone. But if you're just going to go in there, take everything. It's it's going to upset a sense of, I don't know, fairness or something in the American psyche. Shit, I thought the American psyche was all about doing shit for money. I thought that was the very well, core of the American yeah, psyche, but, the psyche. But when it comes to war or sporting event, the second it's over, it's over. We. You don't beat someone when they're down. 
Hmm. Unless uh, you're in war with him. Like Trump. Never mind, I'm just joking. No, I know that sounds weird, and I'm probably not articulating it very well, but that is a a, a, a core belief, value, whatever, of Americans. Might be the core belief in the mythology of America, but I'm not exactly there sure. There we go. In practice, that's how it works. Anyway, sure. that's the position that he takes. Now, the point being that he's now retreating from the position that Steady put forward the day before the foreign minister's meeting, where he said, we're going to push for $20 billion. We agree with $20 billion. Now, right. Roosevelt's saying, well, let's not mention any money, <laughs> which has shocked right. Stalin. Stalin's given up his France chip for this, the shit right. in his pocket, as you refer to it. Um, pocket shit. <laughs> uh, now, he's like, what? What just, what just fucking happened? Stalin turns to Gromikio and whispers to him, what should they make of Roosevelt? Does he really disagree with Churchill or is it just the ploy? Gromikio answered, there are differences between them, but one must be aware that he is correct in his behavior towards the British Prime Minister. Even so, that same correctness would never stop him bringing unofficial pressure on Churchill. If he hasn't done this, I hardly think it's accidental. I need you to unravel that for me. <laughs> I think yeah. he's just saying what Stalin, what he thinks Stalin wants to hear. And as we all know, Stalin's paranoid. I don't get that answer, that response. What? I guess from Stalin's perspective, the, uh, Roosevelt's just backflipped on the American position from the day before. Mm -hmm. So he's saying, right. does he does he really disagree with Churchill? Or is this just a negotiating ploy? The fact that he's now pulling back on the commitment to the twenty billion, Gromikio's yes. I mean, he's obviously his answer to Stalin is going to be based around what he thinks Stalin wants to hear, and he's right. There are differences between them, but he is uh, treating Churchill publicly uh, in a way to allow him to save face. He's agreeing mm. with him. He's agreeing that the issue is a delicate one. But, you know, behind the scenes, he will bring pressure on Churchill unless there's some reason why he can't. Uh, okay. and, unless he has genuine state-related issues back home that are going to prevent him also from publicly agreeing to amount of money. Either way, Joe decides to play it up. The, for the only time in the Alta Conference... They get to see him go full full Stalin on it. <laughs> I, I well, just shit my pants. Not even full Stalin, but I think he just went half Stalin. <laughs> even half Stalin was enough for them to shit their pants. <laughs> According to American accounts, this was the only time during the entire conference that Stalin showed some annoyance. Lord Moran wrote, Stalin rose and gripped the back of his chair with such force that his brown hands went white at the knuckles. <clears throat> he spat out his words as if they burnt his mouth. Great stretches of his country had been laid waste, he said, and the peasants put to the sword. Reparations should be paid to the countries that had suffered most. 
If the British felt that the Russians should receive no reparations at all, it would be better if they just said so frankly. Put it out there, bitch, or do you need another letter from the war cabinet? Let's see. <laughs> do you need permission from your mummy? Um, now, I know there's been several instances during Yalta where, according to the accounts of Molotov and Maisky and those guys, Stalin had gone to stand up and they'd sort right. of you know, given him the signal. Uh, and he'd you like... do that here. Yeah, he'd sat down again. He'd gone, he'd, you know, was ready to go full Stalin where he would get up and stride around the room and, and you know... In order to... Ter- yeah, terrify the shit out of him. <laughs> he's been he's been holding it in for the entire thing, and now he lets a little bit out. And I think he did scare the shit out of Pooh Bear, who um, says, no, it's not that they don't think they should receive any reparations, it's just that they wanted to study the matter longer. Yeah. Which is... Which is Churchill speak for, motherfucker, I've got an election coming up. How, why do you not understand this? I can't say things that I might be happy to say after the election. I can't say before right. the election because it'll make a big, people will make a big deal out of it back home and I could lose the election. And to which Stalin said, what is election? <laughs> Why do you bother with this election nonsense? I do not understand. Back in Mother Russia, we shoot do not have everybody. election. Just shoot everybody that disagrees. I think at this point, Churchill and Roosevelt were probably starting to agree with Stalin. Life would be so much easier if we <laughs> didn't have fuckers. to worry about yeah. these fucking elections. Yeah. Stalin insisted they agree in principle at least, that Germany had to pay reparations and that the figure should be around $20 billion and half of that should go to the Soviet Union. And he finished by asking Roosevelt if he, too, was withdrawing his earlier <sighs> proposal. Ooh, talk about put a spotlight on somebody. Now, Gromikio cornered Hopkins while this was going on, whispered and passed right. him a note and asked him if the Americans didn't want the Soviet economy to recover quickly, which causes Hopkins to pass a note to Roosevelt suggesting that he shut the shit down and talk right. to Joe privately to reassure, reassure him, which is what he does. Frank assures Joe in the meeting that he was completely in agreement with Soviet demands, but his only concern was with the wording. He had an issue with the word uh. reparations, which he worried Americans might translate as cash. I mean, I don't know how, why. I mean, reparations to mean to me means you're going to repair the damages, right? Um, not necessarily cash, right. but that, that was his concern. He suggested instead they just change the wording to compensation for damages. <laughs> okay. That sounds more like a... Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. And yeah, they Stalin uh, they said, damaged my country. Stalin said, why didn't you just say so like a fucking week ago? That's, I don't <laughs> give a shit about the wording. All I care about is the fucking cash, man. <laughs> like, I've aged you 10 years. It. You could have just told me. Call it, call it strawberry ice cream for I fucking care. Like, as long as you give me the money, I don't care what we call it. 
As long as I get 20 billion strawberries, I don't give a fuck. So, Stalin and Roosevelt are back on the same side of this particular issue. Now it's only Pooh Bear fighting against the issue of reparations. He again says uh, he had a letter from his mummy that said (laughs) he wasn't allowed to do it. He gives one of his big, long speeches, which apparently at least Steady uh, enjoyed. He wrote, It was Mm -hmm. always a pleasure to listen to his eloquent sentences. The beautiful phrases just roll out as water in a running stream. Aww. Now, according to one thing, after he's, he's, he's gone into a speech, does FDR begin to waver, or does it look like FDR is having second thoughts, or is he just... Listening to the to this guy's speech, I couldn't quite get the influence of this speech on FDR. Yeah, no, apparently FDR, when he hears the speech, he goes, well, you know, he does make a really good point. Uh, he starts to change. <laughs> now, to be fair to Roosevelt, right? when you've spent half of your life in a wheelchair, it's hard not to be totally spineless. <laughs> Shit. That's my president, motherfucker. Uh, present, yo. I know. That's harsh. I'm kidding. <laughs> Calm down, Americans. I'm kidding. Have much love and respect for Roosevelt. I'm kidding. It's a joke. I had to take it. It was there. It was there. I had to. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So so because of um, Churchill's elegant speech and that look in FDR's eye, maybe, yeah, the debate is freaking going on. It has not settled. Oh, my God. End this already. Somebody just start shooting somebody, please. <laughs> please. That's how I'd solve it. Joe finally realizes he's not going to get anywhere with this discussion and agrees to let the final amount be determined by a reparations commission to be established. I like, I like his solution. We bring our figures and you bring yours, he said to Churchill. (laughs) Churchill turns to Frank and says, How about the United States? And Frank replies, What? The answer is simple. Judge Roosevelt approves and the document is accepted. I have no idea what kind of accent that was. It went all over. Judge Judy. Oh, please. That's baloney. You look ridiculous. Got it? You ready? I'm ready. You think he's ready? He's not ready. You know who I am, right? What's my name? Who are you, man? How you doing? Don't ask me how I'm doing. Where's my money? The money, I do not owe her anything. Oh, please. She ran out of my house and slammed the door, breaking the window. I was extremely upset, so I grabbed a rock and tossed it gently at her car. I'd like 10 million people to hear that you've done something stupid. That's my joy in life. (laughs) So Pooh says to Frank... granddaughter. Pooh says to Frank, how about the United States? The answer is simple, replied Frank. (laughs) For now, I'm going to do Frank in my Markham voice. (laughs) The the answer is simple, my good friend. Judge Roosevelt approves and the document is accepted. (laughs) Terrible. So it's going anyway. to go for the commission. No one's happy, and that's how you know it's a good compromise. <laughs> I don't know. I think FDR is happy. 
He sort of played the role of the honest broker. Well, one minute he agrees with Stalin, the next minute he agrees with Churchill, <laughs> backwards and forwards, Kick backwards and forwards. Um, you know, his own experts were pushing him to accept the Soviet position. Hopkins had said, right. look, seek agreement by which Germany would not be self-sufficient but be forced to import... Again, economic yeah. interests. Morgenthau, the Treasury Secretary, wanted the complete dismemberment of Germany and the destruction of its industrial base completely. But Damn. to placate the US media, Frank yeah. had to walk the middle path. Churchill had won, but he is still kind of disappointed by the fact that Roosevelt seemed to be siding with Stalin for much of the time. But and here's I, I'm sorry, I was going to wrap it up. I think that's where we need to close it up, man. We're at an hour. Did you? Wanna- yeah, no. I was just gonna. I was just gonna say because FDR has been going back and forth, he has given himself some wiggle room to later rechange his mind again. So even though he's probably getting on everybody's nerves by by going back and forth, he is in a position to decide something later on and no one should be too shocked by it because he's been doing it for the last couple of days. Yeah. Well, I think that's how he sees his role um, as the the balance. He's the balance in the force uh, between these two. Uh, and, And as Professor Plow, he said he'd already got what he wanted. Yes, he got Russia and Japan. He got the United Nations. Dude, I'm I'm done. done. I'm out. I'm out. Stick a fork in me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, don't stick a fork because it would hurt him unless you're stuck in his legs because then he wouldn't feel it. I can't believe I said that. (laughs) Well, that's the end of the the show for today, folks. there may be a gap. Um, no, we might do another one. We, yeah. we, you know, there's obviously going to be a bit of a gap in things when Ray's in Australia, but um, uh, we'll we'll do other sort of contenty stuff to fill in. They may not be yeah. official cobble shows, but we'll do bits and pieces on Facebook Live. We'll put some stuff out, um, just chit chat kind of stuff, casual chit chat between us while right. Ray's in town. Should. Should everybody look on your Facebook page, my Facebook page, and the uh, the Life of Caesar Facebook page? Or are we just going to put everything on the Life of Caesar Facebook page just to keep it simple? Yeah, look on all the Facebook pages uh, and even in the feed. I'll, I'll try and still throw you – know, we'll try and record some of the things that we do and throw them out okay. in the feeds, uh, the podcast feeds. But, you know, they're not going to be real, real shows. They're going to be – right. Whatever right. the fuck we'll do in the spur of the moment. <laughs> anyway, that'll be good. It'll be fun. Uh, that's it, folks. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Take care. Of the Soviet military buildup on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere. Da-da-da-da.